You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 170, and today we're talking about what happens if therapy fails. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today we're going for it in a podcast titled, Why Therapy Fails. Now, I know that that's a big topic, and you might be coming here thinking, this is the most controversial thing that I've ever posted. But I want you to know that it's so much more than that. It really is a story of one lady's journey of uncovering her own health and overcoming disordered eating through multiple failed therapy attempts and how she finally found success on the other side or success in the form of health and healing and just nourishing her mind, body, and soul. And I love how vulnerable she is because I think so often we run to these things like counseling and therapy or other programs and systems expecting that it will work, almost demanding that it's going to work. Like this is my last string and it must work. And if it doesn't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I get so many emails that say that that this has to work. It's almost like this threat of if it doesn't, (laughs) I'm going to come after you or I think Often, that's what we do, is we start try to blame other people for the pain that we're feeling. It's almost like we want to bring them down to our level. And I'm no stranger to this. I do this all the time. And I've had to create a lot of awareness around this issue. And so one of the reasons I'm so glad that Lena, our guest today, came on is to share her journey in working through this and overcoming her own body image issues and finding a place of health. Now we're going to talk about the whole gamut of things and how ultimately relying on something else to find healing is never going to work long-term. And really, it's just never going to get you to your goals. So inside this podcast, Lena is going to break down her own story, and I'm going to be asking her questions about therapy and why it failed and what we could be doing to find lasting health outside all of these other programs and systems. What is the ticket to that? So like I said, today on the podcast, I am honored to have Lena Salazar on, and she is an expert in this field of health and mind-body nourishment, not only because she's trained in it, but also because she's lived it for so many years. In fact, going all the way back to her preteen days, she has lived this journey and come out the other side, and she has so much more information to share with us. So you can learn more about Lena over on her own website called livewellway.com. I'll make sure and link all that up in the show notes. But again, that's livewellway.com. And she has a program called Food Sanity that I really believe that you should check out. If you're struggling with this whole concept of disordered eating, of not loving your body or food that you eat, it is a great program to just bring you back into harmony and balance with your body and with the food that we do eat for nourishment rather than for another number or how we look. So like I said, I'm honored to have Lena on the show, but before we dive into that show, I also want to remind you that I do have all the notes and more information over in the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 170. In the show notes today, I'm sharing more about what to do when therapy fails and diving into a little bit more of my own story. So make sure you head on over there, check that out, and Start to ponder the whole concept of maybe therapy isn't failing us, but we're failing therapy. And really start to open our mind to a new way of thinking when it comes to health. That's my challenge with that. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email list. That's where you're going to get very personalized emails from me going through my own journey, what I'm learning, and really just sharing more tips and tricks that I can over there. So again, just leave your name and email, and I know you get so many emails in your inbox, but I promise... I do not take any email for granted. I write them all with purpose and with my full heart and mind to help you on this journey because that's what I want this place to be is not just another place to gather information, but a place where we can come together and form a community of like-minded people who are willing to go out and put this to work, to be an example for the next generation and to live in health, not just talk about it, but to actually do that. 
And I give so many more tips and tricks over there. So again, just head to the show notes to learn more about that. But in the meantime, let's get right to today's show and welcome Lena to the show. Welcome to the show, Lena. Today, we're going to dive into a subject that I get so many questions about, and I think it's just one of those subjects that so many people struggle with, and yet it's not really talked about in deep, honest conversation. So I'm excited to head there. So thank you so much for being here. Hi, Alexa. I am very excited to be here, and thank you again for for the opportunity. I, I love it. I'm excited. Yeah. So you have quite the story with bulimia and binge eating and endless failed therapy sessions. Can you share some of your story just so we're all on the same page with where you came from and how you ended up here? Yeah. Well, first of all, I need to say that I love that you're that covering these topics and, and, and on your podcast because it's very aligned with, with what you have been discussing in, the, in your past two episodes. I mm-hmm. think it's great. And um, so my story, I let's say that when I was a little girl, since I was like four years old or five years old, I I had like obsessive compulsive disorder. I was a perfectionist. I had a very impulsive personality. I loved symmetry. And so when I was like four years old, I like my, like my shoelaces, for example, had to be the same length mm. and my socks had to be as tight. My ponytail had to be perfect. Like <laughs> all this obsession with perfection since I was a little kid and very controlling. Um, and sort of like that was as a, as a little girl. Right. But then let's say when I hit puberty and at like around 12 years old, when I started being more aware of my body um, and all of these sort of like ideas that I grew up with start making more sense in this. And um, just to give you an example, um, my mom always said that um, I didn't have a waist and mm-hmm. that I sort of had like a short trunk so that it was better for me to wear loose clothes um, and growing up in a country like Colombia, where, you know, the, the symbol of femininity is having hips, boobs and, and mm-hmm. a waist, it was in my head that it was, okay, you're not a woman, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're mm-hmm. like a girl. So, so that's how I, let's say that awareness of my body started. And, and of course, when you are, don't like your body and resent your body shape and size, it inevitably uh, is tied into your relationship with food mm-hmm. and let's say that at around 12 or 13 I I just like started binging and purging um and of course this was sort of like came was how do you say like connected or with another ingredient which is that I started going to a gym when I was like 14 years old and I didn't leave until I was like 17 or 18. My life was the gym. Mm. My friends were the instructors. That was where I felt safe sort of Mm -hmm. because in like parties with my girls and boys my age I just felt like a little girl. I didn't feel like a woman. Mm -hmm. So so let's say that that also didn't help because I was over exercising and that that was my safe space so that was that sort of like my my story and not to stop you but but go ahead go ahead were you running away from something like escaping something from there or were you literally just felt like you didn't fit in except at the gym like that became your safe place well, it's both things, mm-hmm. right? It was a safe place, and I wasn't aware of of this back then, right? Mm-hmm. But it was it was my way to sort of like create a place where I felt accepted and where I felt pretty and where I felt admired, right? Because when I was going to to we don't have sweet sixteen, but sweet fifteen, mm-hmm. <laughs> fifteen year old parties of my friends, I I was I always I was the one who always didn't have like a boy to dance with, um. So it was my way to create sort of like a like a shell, right, mm-hmm. to protect myself, uh, just like isolating myself. Like okay, I won't go to parties, and I I I will just like my safe space will be the gym, uh, and it was because of like fear of rejection, right, of shame and not belonging. So those mm-hmm. were like emotions that were underlying for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to continue on with your story, so you were at the gym, you kind of lived your your younger years there. Yeah. And that, and that of course, that changed when I started undergrad because I just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was hard. So but at that point, like, let's say it was just like, it's, it's just like a period of like high and lows, right? Mm-hmm. Moments in which I was fine. And by fine, I mean, I was 
I was uh, thin, let's say. Mm -hmm. I was at a weight where I felt good uh, or I was able to control my food, right? That's what I mean. I was fine. But then, of course, uh, obviously, those those periods were followed by binge eating and purging again. Mm. Um, and let's say that after I, I didn't hit rock bottom once. It was like many times starting 2009 when I left Colombia to to go to study in France. And that year was horrible. There was a lot of binging and purging and I gained a lot of weight. And let's say that that's when I started in sort of like, in, and that happens with eating disorders, right? With, when you have these moments of your life and there's a lot of change or you like move, move, move out of your home or change cities. These are like very triggering for, for the eating disorder to deepen or to manifest strongly. So, and that's what happened to me. And let's say that after I left, I went, I lived in France, I lived in New York, and then, and all of those were like, I had bad crisis in both cities. But then when I turned 30 and I arrived in DC in 2012, that's when I said, I sort of like made an assessment of my life and, and mostly my relationship with men. That was the thing that I was worried about because I didn't have normal relationships with men. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, okay, I have to figure this out because I know that this is impacting other areas of my life. And I, I was feeling crazy, like literally I was feeling insane. And at that was at that point when my desire to be sane, let's say, and calm around food was stronger than my desire for a specific type of body uh, or control my food. And that was the turning point. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about binge eating and purging that, in the mindset of binge eating, is it is it you were just restricting so much that eventually you gave it into binging? Like, what is the mindset behind that? Yeah. So there's there's usually a many. It's multifactorial, right? And there mm -hmm. are many ingredients to that. To 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 like someone to behave in that in that way. And here, let me make a note for all your listeners. Yes, I had an eating disorder, but this also applies for people who not doesn't have women or, or men who don't have a, like a diagnosed eating disorder, but who have a, like a complicated relationship with food and their bodies, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. is a lot of people out there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's when you, when you binge, the binge is all it's the product of restriction. When and that is sort of like connected to the diet mindset, right? And mm -hmm. and by this I don't mean being on a diet formally, but just like thinking like a dieter. Mm -hmm. When because when you're in that mindset, you are uh, let's say there are you think in binary terms. There are good foods, bad foods, good bodies to have, bad bodies to have, uh, thin making foods, bad making foods. You're in this binary world full of rules, and when there's rules, inevitably there's a lot of judgment, mm -hmm. and. And, and then when there's rules, ev eventually you will rebel. And mm -hmm. that's what, uh, what binge eating is. You're basically rebelling to these restriction and deprivation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this is not conscious, right? Right. You might not be, as I said, not formally on a diet. Like, okay, I start a diet today, only pineapple and tuna. Mm -hmm. No, but you are like, okay, how I shouldn't eat this many carbs and I shouldn't eat these sweets or whatever, right? And that that's why you eventually and that's why you eventually rebel you're mm -hmm. hungry <laughs> mm -hmm. right um of course that is just to answer to your question to the specific like connection between restriction and then the rebellion part and the binge eating but of course there are many other ingredients like the emotions and the habits right um, that also come into that equation um and and with the emotions if you, when you talk about eating disorders or in general, a complicated relationship with food and your body um, or this tension, there's always a huge emotional component. And it is usually one, one of avoidance mm -hmm. of not wanting to feel or face the emotions. Right. Because and you, you we, we both know this. We are wired to sort of like um, avoid uh, dangerous situations right. or unpleasant sit emotions um, and our way to cope eats food mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for others it's other stuff procrastination or drugs or alcohol binge watching netflix right but for some of us it's food right right so when you were going throughout this whole thing you said you hit rock bottom not just once but m numerous times yeah. and you also say that on your website that you you had many failed therapy attempts and it wasn't so much to throw therapy under the bus because i think that's critical but what yeah. 
what was it about going to those things? Because I feel like I see this in the cycle of yo-yo dieting. And, you know, a lot of people live in this cycle of they get help, but it's not really helping them, probably because we can't expect someone else to fix us, right? So, like, what yeah. is the mindset of all of these therapies that you tried? And when did it finally, like, what changed when it finally hit yeah. home? So, yeah, I, 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 I like that we sort of like reframe because it's not that therapy doesn't work because it was there. One of the components of my recovery, let's say, was therapy. I just feel that when I started, because I started young and I started mm-hmm. with psychology, psychiatrist, nutritionist, everything. My parents wanted to help me. It was, I was just young. I mm-hmm. wasn't ready. And I started like around like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. years so old. So your parents knew this whole time this was oh, happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I asked for help, mm-hmm. right? Because I, and I was the one who said like, I, I, I want help. And I, I remember one day where I had like a terrible binge eating episode and I was in my bedroom just like crying so bad. And my dad came in. And he, and like, I feel so sorry for them. They didn't know what to do. So let's say that I started therapy very early in my life. And I think it was, as I said, a combination of things. Mm -hmm. I was too young. It's not about maturity, Mm -hmm. right? Because maybe all these therapies told me the right things, but I just wasn't ready to to listen, to hear them, Mm -hmm. right? And it's also maybe that they were giving me answers that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that maybe back then I still wanted to control things. Mm-hmm. And a key ingredient or component or step in this work or in this journey is letting go and not resisting and not fighting the same thing that you want to control. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't remember being told that, but that like that concept was not present in back then. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that I was still thinking about fixing this problem from the intellect more than more than the experience and the process and letting go. Um, and I think that that's that's what also impacted, let's say, the effectiveness of, of those like sessions um, back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to like sort of like speak of the benefits of, of therapy, it was at 30 and the change of mindset that you refer to. It was at 30 that I started with another therapist. And I mean, the advantage was that she was um, she was an addict herself or she was like a recovering addict. So she so her, so her expertise were addictions. Mm. She's from Colombia and I work with her via Skype. Mm-hmm. So her expertise were addictions. And just like in anything with like shoes, clothes, partners, etc., you have to try it out and there, something clicks, right? There has to be chemistry. Right. Mm-hmm. And I found that chemistry with this therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and her approach was totally different, of course, from what mm-hmm. um, other past therapies have, have uh, had done with me. Um, but as I said, I feel like, like the, sort of like the door to question my life and thinking of like, okay, this is a turning point. I have to do this work. And I was very serious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my relationship with men. I mm-hmm. couldn't understand why my relationships were short, traumatic, painful, um, obsessive, mm-hmm. right? And I, I was like, there has to be something else. And these, and I knew, I suspected that food had something to do with it. And I was just feeling crazy. Mm-hmm. I was just feeling crazy. And I was isolating a lot um, and avoiding social situations, a lot of crying, a lot of binging. Again, I, I said, th- I said, this has to change. That's, mm-hmm. that's what changed. That's the mindset. Right. And they, and of course, like ending up with a good therapist. Right. Right. So you kind of talked about it. Like you're like this issue with men was what kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but brought you to the attention that I really am going to fix this. But you said that also your therapist did something different than other therapists didn't mm-hmm. do with you and you're currently helping women to kind of free themselves yeah. from this power what is that mechanism like what is because i know that there are so many people who struggle with this and even if it's not binging um there is other food addictions right like in some way yeah. we all have a disordered view of food so yeah. what was that aha like this this was different yeah so here and i want i want to be very careful with what i say because mm-hmm. Let's say that I, it's all a process and we all have a, our own journey. Mm-hmm. The ingredients, the timing is different for everyone. So for me, if I, if I, let's say I think about my, my recovery of my journey in phases, uh, let's say between like 12 and 
27 years old was the first phase when all of these, let's say, therapy that was not as effective where I didn't learn much. That's that's the first phase. The second phase is when I turned 30 until I was maybe like 34. And that was when I started working with this therapist. She was the first one who said, Lena, you are addicted to food. Mm -hmm. You have to stop eating the foods that trigger a sort of like the cycle of binge eating. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? She was the first one who said that to me. Mm-hmm. And she suggested I start going to Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a 12-step program mm-hmm. uh, based on the 12-step program of AA, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a program that's very much based on abstinence, uh, on believing in a higher power, um, and sort of like surrendering to a higher power. And let's say that that did help me and I highly value it because I can say that my life was before and after I started working with this therapist, I started meditating and I started going to OA. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a phase, but it's a phase. It's a mm-hmm. phase. And that's why I want to, that, to say that, let's say in the second phase, I started working and you also talk about this and because you say he held is not, a, it's deep. And yeah. it's, that's when I started working on sort of like this spiritual mm-hmm. level right? Mm-hmm. More of the emotions. So it was not so much like, how do I transform my behavior? I have more willpower. It was more, how do I, I mean, how do I work on forgiving myself, my mom, uh, you know, past, mm-hmm. re- like men, you know, in past relationships, how do I sort of like learn to be more present? How do I learn to be more aware? How do I learn to accept my character flaws and work around them. How do I live a good life? Mm-hmm. Basically, that that's why my, my interpretation and the lesson I learned from that second phase. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that, and that was highly valuable. But now, as I have been evolving, let's say from 34 years old until now, I until today, let's say that my 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 journey is now is not informed by abstinence anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like this, like controlling what you eat yeah. and abstaining from the foods that you fear. That helped me a lot. But now it's more informed because it's not exclusively. It's informed by the principles of intuitive eating, healthy at every size. So there's more more Buddhist principles. Even I'm not a Buddhist, but Buddhist principles. And there's a more focus on body image and sort of like reconnecting to body and, the, and pleasure. Mm-hmm. And those were components that were not present in, let's say, phase two, right? When I was in OA yeah. and working with this therapist. But those were highly valuable and I, I learned a lot. And, and that's what got me out of the dark hole, let's say. Yeah. So I want to dive into this more because I love how you just said, like, one, this is a journey. Like, there's not a quick fix oh, yeah. for anyone. And I yeah. feel like it can be really discouraging to be like, well, this is what worked for me. But everyone has to go on their own path. But you just mentioned pleasure in, in that last question. Yeah. What was it about that? Like learning about pleasure and its effect on the body that, that helped in your yeah. process? Yeah, it helps like, to like absorb nutrients and just mm-hmm. like enjoy food more. And that, I think that, you know, you know how um, there's a book by Janine Roth, Food, God and Women, or Food, yeah. Women and God, yeah. right? And she talks, She, I love how she puts it. And she says that food is sort of like a thermometer or, or like a snapshot of our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's the same with pleasure. And this is, again, my journey and what I've been discovering. But I, the fact that I was sort of like restraining myself from pleasure in food um, sort of like um, showed me that I was also be, like being super controlling and, and abstaining from pleasure and joy in other areas of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, so I use I use, let's say, my relationship with food. Again, this was not intentional. This is something that I discovered with time and the process. It's like, oh, my relationship with food is showing me that I relate with the same attitude to other aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but to your point uh, to, about like how important pleasure is, let's say, in nutrient absorption and, and just assimilations of nutrients um, and in our relationship with food, because in pleasure, there's, there's permission, right? Mm-hmm. In pleasure, there's allowing yourself to mm-hmm. enjoy the food. And that doesn't happen when you are restricting and dieting. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Because because that's the nature of a diet. In a diet, you're supposed to follow rules, and you're not happy with the rules. That's why you rebel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's in dieting, there's little pleasure. No one diets because they want to. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this huge connection in people's minds that we have to overcome. That pleasure isn't associated necessarily with addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I don't know if it's connected to religion and I'm very, you know, respectful of, of people's religious beliefs, right? I'm just mm-hmm. talking from my own experience with religion. I don't know if it has to do with religion or maybe these like modern era, fast paced workism mm-hmm. achievement like type of mindset, because I see it in a lot of my clients where a lot of them, for, for a lot of them, their identity is so tied to work and, and let's say how, what the food they eat and the exercise that they do, that they cannot think of themselves or their identity beyond food, but right. I'm sorry, beyond work. And, and it's all like, I have to be always connected to my lap, uh, phone, uh, always answering emails, doing more and more and more all the time. And that, that leaves little space for pleasure and mm-hmm. for undoing, let's say not doing anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so i see just like a connection of of just like life in general it's not about the food it goes beyond the food yeah yeah we kind of live yeah. in this mindset of no pain no gain right like everything exactly. in life if it's good for you it must hurt to get there um exactly. and like you said we miss out on so much beauty and just the joy of being in the moment which is really where healing's found Um, Mm -hmm. And so I love how you bring in that because it's not something that I've talked a lot about on here. And when you brought that up, I was like, man, there is so much pleasure that we miss, even in this world that both of us are living in, trying to help other people to achieve health success in some way. Pleasure needs to be a part of that. And it's a missing component in, in in the health space. And so I appreciate you talking about that. And as, as we talk about this, like you talk about food, freedom from food. What do you mean by this? And and what is your encouragement now? Like as you've walked through this whole entire journey, you've been in the thick of it. You've come out the other side. And what do you tell people? Like what is your hope now? Yeah. So for listen, food sanity or finding freedom and joy in food is when you live beyond the food and mm-hmm. your body. As simple as that. It's when you have more sort of like a mental, physical, emotional energy to focus on the things you value. Mm-hmm. And I see it, I, I saw it in myself, but I also saw it because my mind was, of course, inundated by thoughts about food and body. I didn't have time to think about, oh, where do I have other hobbies than working right. out? Do I, mm-hmm. you know, do, what else do I think about if it's not calories and food? Um, so, so it's living beyond food and and you just like, stop fearing food first mm-hmm. uh, you start you accept your body you don't have to love it you can be neutral just like accept it um, and uh, and other things happen when you achieve this state let's say uh, and not achieve I don't want to say achieve it's not the word achieve because it's nothing it's not like an like something that you finally achieve one day mm-hmm. no it, it's it's something you start building over time and but when you feel like you're saying around food and your relationship has healed you your identity and your worth is not determined by your weight or how much mm-hmm. exercise you do or the food you consume, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of like the moral value of the decisions we make around food that make us make us feel bad about ourselves as well. Um, and there's also self-trust. Mm-hmm. We, you know, in my in my case, I didn't trust myself, and that's why I say like, well, I cannot have this ever again because I cannot trust myself around this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because if I touch or smell a tiny piece of that cake I'm just gonna like devour the cake and that lack of self-trust it's it's connected to the to the body to inhabiting the body which for me it's so important and it's some like one of the lessons that I have learned in in like in this journey and it's just we are disconnected from our bodies Mm, and and when you achieve I don't achieve sorry when you feel sane around food and achieve this joy around food, you learn to trust your body, your hunger cues, uh, your body signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also awareness. Awareness is so important. I think I'm like a broken record talking about awareness because for me, it's at the root of everything. Mm-hmm. When you are aware of your body, my, I'm sorry, thoughts and emotions, 
there's more space to make wiser choices mm-hmm. and there's more like deep self-knowledge of how you react to certain situations or you understand how the emotions so like come up physically in your body uh, and you're able to just like become wiser and make wiser choices is that mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah 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 for sure I, I mean, I really like that. And I, I don't think we can talk about awareness enough. I know that we bring it up all the time, but it yeah. is it is that present thinking of like coming back into who you really are, right? Like there has to be some kind of presence awareness about this. So if we continue on with this, do you believe it's actually about the food? Like when we talk about disordered eating and dieting and all these things, or do you believe this is a, about a story that we've created in our minds? So, listen. I think that now nowadays, nowadays we there's so much fear of not belonging, of shame, of not conforming. That and and this is of course is reinforced by social media, mm-hmm. what we're consuming permanently. Uh, that that we create these certain beliefs that are very ingrained and rooted in our minds of how we should look, how mm-hmm. we should eat, who we should be, and. And, and I think those are the stories that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? And the key is how do you challenge those stories? You have to challenge those stories. When you, you make, you sort of like train, and this is again where the awareness comes in, when you train sort of like the muscle of awareness, because it's a muscle, mm-hmm. uh, you're more aware of, oh, okay, I just saw this post and this is making me feel this way. And then, and this is when I talk about the wiser choice, I can either continue looking, scrolling down on Instagram on all these things, mm-hmm. inspiration, whatever, or I can delete this, you know, um, unfollow these accounts and just shut down my phone. Mm-hmm. Right. So you always have a choice. And this is, this is when I come to, a, this is when I awareness and challenging those stories. Uh, it's so important because we know, I, I forget where I heard this, this idea and I love it. Our minds are like Velcro for for negative emotions or negative thoughts and Teflon for positive thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's part of survival. Right. Uh-huh. But it's not beneficial nowadays. So we, the, the key is to challenge the stories and by challenging the stories, I mean, and again, I just to bring some examples from my clients and from myself, it's like whenever you perceive in a situation that, um, someone didn't text you back or you didn't get an email or something like that and you start creating these stories oh it's because I am this it's because I'm not enough I'm not creative enough I'm not good enough I'm not thin enough I'm not big enough I'm not right all of this enoughism mm-hmm. uh, that we suffer from those are the stories that you need to challenge and th- we're inundated by those stories so no it's not about the food the food is an ingredient but it doesn't start or ends with the food Mm-hmm. It's about the emotions and challenging these stories that we are sort of like caught up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. So a lot of people talk about making peace with food, right? But that in itself can be an, come another stress. So what are some hard truths that you've found to be true about fixing our relationship with food? Yeah. So I, yeah, I do think that there are like different things that, um, that let's say we don't hear often when it comes to healing a relationship with food and body. And it's, well, the first one, it's, it's that idea of surrendering. And this is a word that I take from OA, but that let's say that I still use in my work today. And this is an idea of like, okay, what's at stake? Uh-huh. What's at stake? Unless you really recognize what's at stake. And unless you really, and this is intuitive eating, put weight in the back burner, it will be harder to to make progress in healing your relationship with food. Mm. So that's one. Like, what's mm. at stake? Do you acknowledge what things you could not be or achieve or things mm. that you value, right? If you keep fighting food on your body, that's the first one. The second, let's say, truth is that you we need to dedicate time to this work. Mm. This is not something that happens in the therapist office or in, you know, if with my clients, when in the health coaching session, it happens in between sessions. It happens when you get out of the door and you start reading books, listening to podcasts, exposing yourself to new knowledge, new conversations, new people, because that's what will help sort of like rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's what will help. A, um, change sort of like or start transforming your paradigm the way you see the world that's mm-hmm. that's where the work comes in 
Um, and of course, and curiosity. For me, curiosity was key. The moment at 30 years old when I said, I'm going to do this work, I, I just sort of like started again, just going after books, podcasts, going to events, um, you know, getting coffee with people that I thought could help me. It was, there was a lot of curiosity. And even when, when, when you are, let's say after a, after a bad binge or something like that, the curiosity comes in like, okay, what didn't work instead of like, I'm a failure. I could not, not binge. Um, it's like, be compassionate with yourself. We mm -hmm. are in like a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. What didn't work? Is this an opportunity to learn what? Right. And that's where the, also where curiosity comes in mm. um, and the and the power of a community. This work, you can do it alone for sure, but it won't be as effective if you rely on other people that are facing the same mm -hmm. uh, struggles. Uh, and that's one of the reasons behind my new format, let's say the group coaching program, Food Sanity, because it's it's just like trying to leverage the power of a community. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, it's it's easier to be vulnerable together and learn together than alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so good. On your blog, you have a post called "Can We Be Fat and Happy?" What is your answer to this? Mm, so, <laughs> I think we and you. I mean, you, you, you. I, I would also love your your take on this, uh -huh. but I think that we can be fat and healthy, and not. I think there's science to support this. Um. Right. And it's, I mean, for those interested, just like read more about healthy at every size and the science behind it or how sort of like we are, our beliefs around weight and fat, et cetera, have been based on, on science that has some flaws. And mm -hmm. um, so we don't have to be super thin to be healthy. Uh, you cannot judge someone's health by their weight or shape or size. Um, there are other indicators, let's say. That's, that's sort of like the foundation of healthy at every size. So, so yes, you can be happy, I'm sorry, fat and healthy. And then if you ask the question about fat and happy, that's very subjective. And that's what I write in my, on my blog. It's very subjective. And I, I think in that blog I raised, I give, to, I provide two examples of one, one woman who was very skinny and sort of like control its calorie, her calories. And now sort of like gained normal weight, right? She's, she's like, she lives a happy, healthy life and she's fat. She's mm -hmm. larger. She's in a larger body and she's still happy. And then in the other extreme, you have someone another girl who, who shares her story of how she's the opposite. She feels healthy, uh, happier controlling what she eats and um, so like managing to stay in a small body. Mm -hmm. uh, I would want to hear from that girl now because I, I wrote that blog like a couple of years ago um, so to see whether she's as happy. But it, it comes to subject, it's very subjective and it comes to whether you can accept your body and again it's not about loving it's mm -hmm. only accepting sometimes we can there are things of our body that we cannot change just mm -hmm. like you know we cannot change our height or the length of our arms there are things that we cannot change so so how do we create a better relationship with our body Mm -hmm. So I do think that you can be fat and healthy and, and you can be fat and happy as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would agree on both of those as well. Like yeah, right. what you said. I mean, I feel like so often I see people trying to chase a feeling and I don't think that we can do that. You know, I think it takes work to come to feelings and it's not going to be found in losing pounds or getting to a certain size jeans. I've just seen so many people, you know, hit their goal weight or, um, you know, hit, hit whatever they, whatever marker they were, but it doesn't make them happier because they got there, especially if they, exactly. if they haven't done the deep work. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if you had to put together a series of steps in healing the body and the mind, like what would be the top two? Wow. That's a hard question. Yeah, it is. Um... Or where would you want someone to start? Like if someone was like, okay, I want to do something, what would you tell them? So I think, okay, let's say there are two things that I suggest you would do because they result in other components of this journey. Mm -hmm. And the, the first one, again, broken record, awareness. 
And the reason why this is so important, it's because it's the foundation of everything. Mm-hmm. It's and, I, and by this, I mean awareness of your body. We have to re-inhabit our body, our thoughts and our emotions. And it's because those are very closely linked. You know that when we, I mean, neg- any negative, emo- any emotion, negative or positive, but, you know, we love negative, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it comes with a physical sensation. Mm-hmm. So when we are able to be more attuned with our body and so like the physical sensations, we are, it's easier to identify those strong emotions and be less reactive. And that's sort of like that, that these just building that, what I just said, it sort of like leads to that freedom of choice and allowing mm-hmm. yourself to make wiser choices. Mm-hmm. So that's why awareness, I think it's at the root. And when you're aware of your thoughts, the same thing, you're like, Okay, here comes the thought that tells me I'm worthless because I gained one pound. Mm-hmm. Here comes the thought. How do I challenge that thought? Right? And the, and, 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 and the emotions and body to feel for fullness cues, hunger cues, pleasure. So that would be the first one. And then the second one would be an active rejection of diet culture. Mm. Um, because, and, and by active, I mean, so there are some things that we cannot control. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like advertising in shopping malls or that banana Republic decided to take photos of skinny girls. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there are other things that we can control, like um, the media we consume, the magazines, what people we follow on Instagram. And that's why social media is so, so important for this work, because it's now we have so much access to information and inf- we are surrounded by information permanently and that reinforces sort of like these negative cultural messages. So that's why active rejection of diet culture, it's so important. The conversations that we have with people um, sort of like be more, have more agency in how we nurture our brain. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say those two, um, because those lead to emotional resilience um, yeah, I would say those those two I would prioritize. And those are and those two take a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those are great points. I mean, like you said, this is an overnight work. This is mm-hmm. choosing to go in, but there's no better time than to start now. You know, like why yeah. wait for this? Mm-hmm. So my last question before we get to some quick fire questions is do you still struggle with your old patterns and what do you yes. do about them? Yeah, of course. I'm not I'm not gonna lie to that. And I think uh, they still come up because that's, I, I mean, at the end, I live thinking about the same things and my brain was wired like that for 30 years. So it's, it's, let's say the connections are weakened, but, but sometimes they still come up. And, and I think that here it's very important to, and it's something that I've learned again with the process. It's just like protecting these lessons learned precisely. And that's sort of like, well, self, self-care comes in. I can now tell that whenever, let's say, I allow stress to take over my life and I don't sleep enough or I eat dinner too late and then or I stay working at the computer until 9 p.m., right? When I allow all these different um, environmental factors to, 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 to sort of like take over my life, it's harder to stay centered. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's when it's so important to say, like, okay, what things work for you? And that's what I call sort of like the sanity list, right? What keeps you centered? What keeps you sane? For me, it's water. For me, it's movement, sleep, eating early dinner. Um, when, when I sort of like take care of myself, and that also means doing things that I sometimes don't like doing, right? I right. don't always want to go to yoga. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't want to wake up to meditate. I don't know. So it's doing the things sometimes that you don't like to do, but you know are good for you. Right. Uh, And it's sort of like protecting and creating a buffer zone. And when you are very clear on what things keep you centered and you get all these old patterns coming back, it's easier to say, okay, what's in my toolbox? I already know how to go back, how to get like center, Mm -hmm. get centered again. So, so yes, they still come up, but I, I have like an arsenal of things that I was like, okay, I already know how to come back to my center, come back to my home, my authenticity, whatever you want to call it. And, and that's, that's why it's important. And that's where self-care comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you said, it's kind of like you have an arsenal of tools now that exactly you can use to help you. And I think 
going through the process. That's what you learn. You know, like I think sometimes we want to be to our end goal so fast that we don't realize that if we got there, we couldn't carry the weight of that either. You know, like we have to learn all of these tools to be able to maintain that. And that's why it takes time. But that's the power of letting it take time. Um, It's just understanding the growth that you're going to get along the way that's going to sustain that. Correct. Like building the foundations. Yeah. Yeah. Lena, you have been such a wealth of information. I really appreciate you being here. Before you go, though, I have a few quick fire questions that are just fun um, to provide a little more information about you. So the first one is, what's the first thing you do every morning for your health? I do like literally I have like a water bottle of water next to my bed and I just drink water and and it's the first thing I do. Before I get up to pee, and then I've and lately I've been I've been good with my meditation. It mm-hmm. does help a lot. Mm-hmm. Just like taking time to meditate, I've been good with that lately. Yeah, but for sure. Water, two water, two very powerful things. Yeah. What's your favorite health or mindset book? Um, I um, I I am a follower on, of Tara Breck. Mm. she's have you are you familiar with her uh just i've heard of her she's she's great she's um she she's the founder of the instant meditation community of washington dc and she's sort of like a leading meditation and buddhist psychology meditation teacher and she has a book that's called radical acceptance Mm. uh and i love that book because it's it's precisely more about sort of like the emotional layers of all these these issues that we face in life, not only with food, because, but with like anything. Mm-hmm. She calls it the trans of unworthiness when we are believe these stories that you refer to. Uh, and that's, that's a great book. Yeah. I'll make sure I link that up in the show notes. What's yeah. one thing you do for a healthy mind every day? You kind of said meditation, but is there anything yes, else? Yes, but I want to, sh- I want to share that. And this is, it's, it's funny again, how this is about life, not mm-hmm. only exclusive about the food and the body. It's, like the things that keep me sane and that's something I've learned as a as a solopreneur and it's the I have this thing called the productivity planner and it's a journal that just helps me plan my days and 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 so like keeps me focused when I'm working mm-hmm. and the reason why I say this is important this is important for it was important for me again that's what works for me it's because I if I do it every Sunday night and I plan my week and I so like use this productivity planner, I feel again more centered, more productive, more organized. Um, it, I am a person of structures, mm-hmm. and that also helps with my sanity and my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. So again, it's an ingredient of of the of the puzzle of self care for me. Planning is self care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And last one, what piece of advice could you leave us with? Um, I, listen, it's about the way you think. It's Mm -hmm. not about transforming behavior, discipline, or willpower. It's not about that. It's about transforming the way you think. When you are able to sort of like challenge, replace, and question uh, very rooted beliefs um, and transform the way you think and perceive certain things, uh, in this case, food, body, perfection, etc., it will be easier to transform your behavior because that's how the motivation becomes more authentic. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the food. It's about the way you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Tell us where we can learn more about you and the work that you do. Yeah. So uh, my website is livewellway.com. And there you'll find like, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm also on Instagram at live.way. I'm sorry, live.well. Dot, uh, dot way mm-hmm. uh, that, that I'm, upla- I'm you know upla- I'm updating people on my podcast on my blog sorry my blog and also my um, recent group coaching program that I launched uh, last week actually mm. um, yeah it's called Food Sanity uh, it's an eight-week group coaching program and I'll, I also on, on my website and on Instagram I'm updating people about the next edition mm-hmm. awesome I will make sure and link all that up in the show notes so everyone can find where they can learn more about you and check out your work. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of that and your story. Of course. No, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. This was great. I mean, wasn't Lena great? Just so much vulnerability and sharing her story and the power of how her story can just transform the lives of so many people. And I believe that to be true about you. 
I believe that we all have a story that needs to be told, but the only way that we can tell it is if we're vulnerable and honest with ourselves and reach deep to find that healing. We are not meant to be stuck and held by the powers of food or our body image. That is not the purpose of life. And for so many of us, we're just letting that strap us down and steal our joy and our happiness. So I hope that you found encouragement in today's show to break free of that, to develop quote-unquote food sanity like Lena talked about in this podcast and where you can learn more in her program over at livewellway.com. But like I said, that is my whole mission and my entire hope with my life is that I can help you break free of the power of food and that you can live in freedom, that you can live for something so much more and make health just a part of who you are, not something that you have to do. Like health is not meant to be a chase or it's not supposed to define you, but just to be a part of you, to be a tool that helps you live for something greater. So as we continue on in this journey, you're going to learn more and more about that, especially if you sign up for my email list where I'm going to be sharing more tidbits about what I'm learning in my own personal journey of really hitting rock bottom again and asking the question, what is health? Yes, I I went all the way back to the beginning, 12 years after studying and coaching and doing nutrition full time, I came back to the basic question. And I'm learning so much more about it, and I just want to share that with you. So like I said, head to the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 170 to sign up for my email list. Also, you can get all the information on today's show and learn more about why therapy fails and what you can do about it in that podcast. In the meantime, I'm coming back here on Monday with another short bonus episode another Monday motivation topic that I can't wait to share with you. Those Monday motivations, there's only a couple left before we move in out of this mindset series and into a new series. Like I said, coming up on the show, we're gonna talk about raising healthy eaters and what it means to feed kids healthy and realistically. And then we're gonna move into the Enneagram series on how to eat for your Enneagram type, which I'm super pumped about. So stay tuned, there's a lot of good shows coming up. Next week, we also have one of my favorite guests that's been on the show, Amy Lynn Slambrook. She's going to dive into a really deep subject, but I'm going to leave you hanging on this, but it's one you're going to want to hear. So stay tuned. I will be back here on Monday with a little Monday motivation and here again on Wednesday. In the meantime, have the best weekend and I will see you back here next week.